Welcome to the Beyond the Box War podcast. This is your host, David Kaplan. In this episode, I interview Coach Andre Gray. Coach Gray is an assistant men's basketball coach at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. Coach, how's it going? I'm wonderful. What about yourself? Doing all right. I'm trying to figure out this new phone that I have. Right now, I can't make phone calls, so I'm trying to figure out if I can even call it a phone. <laughs> yeah, iPhones. Is it an iPhone, I'm guessing? It, yeah, it's iPhone. Yeah, they get me every time. They Mine started acting up a couple weeks ago, so mine's is new as well. So mine's work, but I don't have all my contacts. So hopefully within the next week, all my contacts will download. So that would be a step in the right direction. No question. <laughs> Coach, go ahead and give yourself a, a brief introduction to the listeners. Um, Andre Gray, of course, um, just going into my third year at University of North Carolina Greensboro, UNCG. Um, a 20-year veteran of coaching. Um, began my career as a middle school coach in Clayton, North Carolina. Um, did both football and basketball at that school. Moved on to um, J.F. Webb High School in Oxford, North Carolina as a high school coach. Um, my first college job was at Methodist University. Back then it was called Methodist College, which is my alma mater. Um, coached there for a couple of seasons. Um, was the head coach of the junior varsity program and assistant for the varsity program. Moved on to Wingate University. Um, spent four years there as an assistant coach. Then got my first Division One job at Gardner-Webb University. Um, spent the season there um, with Rick Scruggs. Moved on to Western Carolina with Larry Hunter. Did three years with Larry. Um, then moved back to the eastern part of the state at UNC Wilmington with Buzz Peterson. Was there three seasons as well. Did a season at some State with James Wilhelmy. Um, then moved to UNC Charlotte for three with Mark Price before coming here to Greensboro. So um, I'm, I'm a bit of a dinosaur First, I'm one of the few guys, I think, who started their career at the middle school level and worked my way up to the Division One. And secondly, I've done all that moving around and never left the state of North Carolina. So I'm a bit of a unique basketball coach from both perspectives. Well, at least you haven't had to get a new uh, driver's license. <laughs> no, they get me. I don't know if I could pass a driving test in another state. Like, <laughs> I, I don't even know what I look like. It's always funny when I think about it. My wife and I kind of laugh about this Um our path through this thing because she's with, been with me the entire time. And I remember when we first got into college basketball, we talked about being able to move and live in different parts of the country. And we just kind of laugh now. We, we've been doing this all this time and never got to leave the state. But we do we did get to cover the entire state. We lived in the mountains, lived on the beach, lived in the triad, lived in you know the Charlotte area. So we lived everywhere you can in the state besides the 252 up in the northeastern part of North Carolina. So uh, I imagine someday somebody going to offer me a job at East Carolina so I can scratch that <laughs> with my lid. And then I can retire. If I if I get a job there, I'm never going to go to work. I'm just going to sign my contract and one the next day I'm resigned. <laughs> Shoot. Coach, you know, you were born in Elizabethtown, North Carolina. What was life like <clears throat> growing up in there? Um, life was, was interesting. Um, I'm a guy who um, don't really come from much, just to be honest. Um Education, higher education was something that was was pushed in my household. Um, I'm the, the youngest of six children. I'm the first to finish um, high school. So the idea of going to college was never really something that we talked about. 
Um, I was lucky. I grew early. Um, been about six four, six five since like ninth grade. So sports kind of um, what took me to think about going to college. I had a, um, one of my my physical science teacher was was the first person to put in my head the idea of going to college. Um, at the time, schools was kind of recruiting me. I didn't understand the recruiting process. I think it's one of the reasons why I'm pretty good at it now because I get how confusing it may be for a young person. Um, but she was always on my neck about, Dre, you need to go to college because academically, I always was a strong student. So schoolwork came easy for me, even though I didn't have to work at it. But she was always telling me, I, I need to get to college. I need to go to college. I could be good. And, and I didn't really know why I was going to school. I didn't even know until the day after I graduated. Um, her son was going to Fayetteville State along with two more of my classmates. And she made me come down there the day after graduation. And her and her son, they drove me to school. And, and I met with the football coach at Fayetteville State. And that's kind of how I began my college career. Um, I enrolled and wound up being like the worst football player in CIAA history for a couple of months. But <laughs> <laughs> but it was cool. It was a good experience. It took me to college and had so many great memories made during that time. So. So when did you transfer to Methodist? Um, I was at Fayetteville State three years. I was at Fayetteville State three years, and I did um, three at Methodist as well. I played basketball at Methodist when I transferred over there. Um, weird story. I, I tell a story to some of my close friends. Most people don't know this story, but um, I played both sports when I was in high school, um, football and basketball. I had a really good friend that played football at Methodist, and one day I was just talking junk to him. I said, hey, tell the coach over there I'm coming to play for y'all. And he went and told the basketball coach. Um, instead, of, I would actually met for him to tell the football coach. He told the basketball coach. Um, <laughs> I wanted. I was living down the street from Methodist at the time, and the basketball coach gave me a call and asked me if I wanted to come try out. I went over there and tried out, and I guess I did fairly well. Um, he offered me a spot on the team. Um, my grades at the time wasn't very good um, at Fayetteville State, but. He explained to me, like, when you transfer, you get a brand-new GPA and you get to start your life over again. Because I had good grades in high school, but in college, I just got caught up in the wrong stuff. But um, it never dawned on me by transferring. I got a brand-new lease. So when I transferred to Methodist, um, it gave me a chance to start over pretty much. Um, So I went into education. Um, I wanted to be able to tell my story and help people that kind of grew up like me, people that don't really know what it takes to go to college. Um, exposed as many people to college as I could. So once I got the methods, I wanted to do education for sure. And ironically, I wanted to be a high school football coach, not a college basketball coach at that time. So, so how many? So you spent six years in college? Oh yeah, don't say it too loud. Don't don't say that again. But yes, sir, <laughs> I, I, I was a career student. I was a career student. I like. It. Hey, it's <laughs> a marathon. It's not a race. It's yes, sir. No, it's awesome. Um, you know. So what about? your time at Methodist uh, made you, you know, want to be a basketball coach. You know, I know you said you want to be a football coach, but yeah, um, after you know, Methodist, I, that changed your mind. Yeah, no, I actually didn't. Um, still when I, even when I played basketball at Methodist, um, I still wanted to be a football coach. My dream when I got out of school was to be the head football coach at East Bladen high school. Where I went to school. That was like my ultimate goal at the time in life. Um, but once I graduated, um, I coached both at the middle school level at Clayton, like I said. Um, doing both, I learned that I could manipulate basketball a little bit more than football, and that would kind of got my wheels turning in that direction. Um, 
football seemed like if you was bigger, faster, and stronger, unless you just made bad decisions, you was going to win more times than not. The basketball, especially at the high school, the middle school level, because there was no shot clock in that area, you could do things to kind of control the outcome of the game, even if you wasn't as talented as the other team. So when I made the move to high school, again, I started playing around with stuff like that. So I started learning funky, different zones you could play. You learn different offenses that kind of could level the playing field a little bit. If somebody got superior talent, you know, you could play a little bit slower if you needed to. Um, you could do more things in basketball to kind of control the outcome is what I found. And that what got my wheels turning more towards basketball over football was actually while I was coaching in the high school level. Um, then we was lucky um, while I was at Oxford Webb, we had a young man who um, led the state in North Carolina in scoring. And college coaches were coming through there all the time and talking to him. And then I started looking like, wow, I could not only be able to coach basketball where I could control the game a little bit more, but also I, coaching the college, I could go get the players I want to coach. You know, and I loved my high school kids, my middle school kids. I still talk to quite a bit of them, but I was like, man, in college, I could go pick who I'm coaching. And that just kind of appealed to me for some reason. So that what took me to go into college. But it wasn't no master plan while I was young. Um, it was something that actually evolved. So before that, you would have been uh, happy being a you know PE teacher and coaching high school sports. You you were content with that? Yeah, I was fired up. <laughs> I was. I was fired up. I, I really, I really enjoyed my time in the school system. So I'm, those kids was awesome. Um, messing really good families. Um, the people that you worked beside was big time. I was perfectly happy doing that at that point. And if I wasn't exposed to Tehran and his recruitment, I probably was still, that probably what I'd be doing today. It wasn't until um, coming in contact with Tehran and then I started working camps. Um, the guy I worked with, Mike Kincaid in Oxford, um, used to work basketball camps. And I was a Duke basketball fan at that time. And I lived in Durham, which is right down the street from Duke. And they had a guy that didn't show up for camp one weekend. And he called me that morning and said, hey, they got a spot open at camp. Do you want to come work? And I drove the camp not knowing. And my first time ever seeing a college basketball camp was that day. I, I started working Duke basketball camp. But that also kind of opened my eyes to that level. And I was like, man, this is this would be kind of cool to do this for a living. So it just happened to be a perfect storm between the kid getting recruited and my introduction to the camp world and seeing college basketball guys move what is what took me in this direction. That's awesome. So, you know, me being a, a D3 guy, you know, I know all schools don't have just, you know, three full-time assistant coaches. Were you still teaching high school when you were uh, your, your two years at Methodist? No, um, I, I, I married well. Um, my wife is phenomenal. Um, she allowed me to take that job at Methodist. Um, that job paid $2,000. Um, it paid $2,000 spread over 10 months. So my checks from there was like $170 a month after taxes. Um, so I had to find ways to make kind of ends meet. She had a full-time job. And then I just found, first year I wound up um, working at one of the public high schools. I was like the safe schools coordinator assistant. And I pretty much wrote tardy passes and broke up fights all day at the school, which is an interesting job. But the, the downside was I had to be there when the first bus arrived. I couldn't leave till the last bus left. And then we had the two teams I had to coach when I was at Methodist. So 
my first two years of co- coaching college basketball when we was in season, I was working 19, 20 hour days. And I didn't know that was atypical. I thought that kind of what every college coach did. So I'll be at work at 6.30 in the morning at Douglas Bird. And most of the time I start my day by doing the laundry at Methodist um, before I went over there. So I wake up five o'clock, do the laundry, get that stuff organized, go to Douglas Bird, work the full day, leave, show up at Methodist. Um, we had four basketball teams at, at that school at the time. We had JV and varsity for both men's and women. So the way the practice was structured, if the varsity practiced first on the men's, the JV practice last. So sometimes I wouldn't start my JV practice to 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. So you get done with that practice, you know, 12, 31, and then you start the whole process over again the next days. But again, I wasn't exposed to college um, before that. So I just, I just thought that's what everybody, I thought Coach K was doing the same thing I was doing. So it was a great first job for me from that perspective, but making ends meet and you ate a lot of hot dogs, ate a lot of ramen noodles. <laughs> you kind of just made meals out of anything. Bounced a few checks to make some, to get some food. But my wife, like I said, she was awesome. We was able to get through it. Uh, certainly uh, sounds like it. You know, so after your two years at Methodist, uh, you landed an assistant coaching job at Wingate for four years. You guys had great success. Um, you know, did you have a prior relationship with that coach or anyone on staff? Um, it just – when I got into the camp world, there's a guy named Robert Dooley, um, who was the other assistant at Wingate at the time. I started working in the five-star. Um, I will throw this in there. It's something that most people don't realize about me. I actually worked at USC Pembroke for about two weeks in between that. Um, I took a job at Pembroke um, as I was leaving Methodist. I interviewed for Coastal Carolina, Wingate, and Pembroke all at the same time. Uh, Pembroke offered me the job first. This is when I started working five-star. I had to leave to go to five-star the next week, so I worked five-star camp for two weeks. And while I was gone, I got offered the job at Wingate. So when I came back from town, I just started off at Wingate. But I knew Rob Dooley working on camp, Campbell's camp. We worked Campbell's camp together a couple of years, and we hit it off, had a really good relationship. So when that position opened up, that's how I got involved with that job. Okay, so, you know, that's really interesting. You talk about the UNC Pembroke aspect. And I've spoken to a few coaches who have had that kind of thing happen. You know, talk about the, the mindset of, well, will the coach understand, you know, this is a better move for my career. You know, I already accepted the job. Do I just, you know, have to turn down Wingate? You know, talk about your mindset through all that. Again, I, I don't come from a coaching tree. <laughs> so I had nobody talking me through this stuff. Um a couple of guys try to advise me a little bit, the guys I've met through camp and things of that nature. Um, and to be totally transparent, it was more of a money thing for me. Um, Pembroke was close, was close to the home. Um, but the position, I can't remember what it paid, maybe $10,000. Wingate paid me 20000 and gave me somewhere to live. So for me, it was a no-brainer. You know, I make a little bit double the salary. Um, got to live on campus, so that being no bills. Um, instead of having to commute from favor to Pembroke, so that went more into my decision than anything or just financially. I made $2,000 a year for that before that for two years. So the opportunity to make some more money was important to me. Oh, no, absolutely. Totally get that. Um, you know, talk about some things you learned at Wingate during the four years just as a basketball coach. Um, it was it was really, really, really influential in my career. Um, Parker Lekether, the guy who was the head coach, and Rob Dooley, they um, – 
they were really helpful and helped me identify myself as what I was going to be. Um, Parker wasn't really hands-on. He kind of let me run like all the off-season conditioning stuff. Uh, once he got comfortable with me, I've done a ton of the recruiting for the school. Um, I did almost all of our off-season workouts. So from that standpoint, it was really cool. Like he, he didn't bother me at all. He let me grow as a person. Um, he was really nice. Um, he let me um, have some input of what we did offensively and defensively. Um, Coach Dooley is probably one of the nicest human beings I've met. And he's, he's also very egoless. So even though I didn't know what I was doing, they never let me feel like I didn't know what I was doing. They always really support, supportive of my recommendations. So it helped me grow tremendously. And living on campus gave me a different dynamic because I live pretty much right beside the gym. So the guys will always even be around the house and be in the yard. And I was always around the office there. So I was able to build some really, really good relationships with those guys on a different level from anywhere else I've been because I was with them. I was with them all the time. I ate in the calf um, with those guys. So me and those guys bonded a lot. That's awesome. You know, after Wingate, um, you know, you've coached now at D2 and D3 levels. Besides the athletic scholarships, what were the biggest differences you saw as far as just operational standpoint? Um, as far as operational, of course, how you travel um, at each level was different. Uh, Wingate was the program was really good, so we, we chartered bus um, all our games there, so it wasn't much different actually from going from there to Gardner Webb as far as how we traveled. Um, of course, when I was at Charlotte, we traveled a little bit different from other places I've been as well. But that was probably the biggest thing. Um, as far as my job functioning-wise, when I was at the Division three and Division two level, you spent a lot more time within the different departments around campus. Like, having a good relationship with the registrar and the financial aid people and the, and the people that ran the dining services and the people that was over the dorms, that seemed to be so much more important at the lower levels than it did when I got to Division One, um, so some of that stuff was probably the, the biggest adjustments to me, outside of the scholarships and the kids. Um, the best thing about the Division Three kids, like you didn't have to beg them to come. Um, you had to pretty much beg them to come to school, but once they was there, um, there was nothing holding them to stay on the team. So if they wanted to quit, they just quit, <laughs> and it didn't cost them anything. So. When you had a practice, even my JV teams at Methodist, the kids that showed up in the gym, they was fired up to be there. They just wanted to be a part of a college, of a college basketball team. And I think once I moved to um, some of the Division One schools, you're not always sure why guys play. I, I don't know if all the guys that you coach at this level play for the love. Some of them play for the money. I think that's probably the biggest difference from a basketball standpoint. Uh, that's so true. So that, you know, that team at Gardner-Webb you were a part of, uh, you guys had a guy, Grayson Flitner, man. And talk about <laughs> that dude, when I was at High Point, I just remember him being a stud. Talk about your first experience coaching the D1 level. <laughs> oh, man, it was wild. Again, because I, again, I, I don't know what I'm doing now. I tell you that. I never played Division One. When I was at Methodist, we played against Campbell, which I, 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 can't, I can't make my statement. I was about to say something bad about him. But we played against Campbell <laughs> back when they had the old gym. Uh, so it was a different experience. So. When I get to Gardner Webb, this is my first time being exposed to Division One facilities, Division One games, the coaching staffs. Our second, maybe our second or third game, can't remember which one. We played at Kentucky, 
um, as part of the preseason IT. And I remember, like, I've never seen anything like that before. Um, so the game, you know, we do our pregame stuff. and We walk out the locker. I remember I was so nervous. I was actually walking towards the Kentucky bench. And Doug Essick, who's on staff with me at the time, <laughs> had to grab my arm because I was so nervous. I walked towards the wrong bench. Um, but Rick Scruggs was phenomenal. He was like, it's amazing he's he won so many games because he is so um, live in the moment type of guy. He don't really get rattled much. And we played Kentucky at Rupp, and you would think we was playing some some non one team somewhere. Yeah, he was so loose, and our guys felt and played that way. Flitner was phenomenal. The kid Thomas Sanders we had there was awesome. Thomas was actually the player of the year in the league that year. Um, and those guys just went there. And we we. Kentucky to death. We was like 20 on most of the game. And it was just a – I remember on the ride back home, I was like, oh, this D1 stuff easy, man. I should have been doing this the whole time. I, <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was awesome. Like, those kids those kids made it so much easier for me because they kind of embraced me even though I was a guy coming up. Um, the staff there, Dynamics, was big time. Um, Chris Holtman is a, is a phenomenal coach. And Doug Essick is a phenomenal coach in person. And – those two guys kind of embraced me. No one, they, no one, I didn't know what to do at that level really helped. They made my transition smooth. Um, I've always had a reputation as a recruiter, but I never recruited at that level before. And they, when we sat in our recruiting meetings and things of that nature, you had never known. They took my input just like they gave their own. So it was really cool. That's great. You know, you talk about that win over Kentucky. You know, you guys really made the Gardner Webb a verb. You know, (laughs) they seem to always, every couple of years, knock off a a power five team. What is it about? And it's not even the coach because it's been different coaches. What about Gardner Webb makes it so special? Is it something in the water at Boiling Springs? I don't know what it is about that place, man. It was, it was, I don't think we ever walked into a game thinking, not planning on winning it. And that was just the staff I was part of. and And I, the last few coaches have all been branches off that same tree. You know, like Tim Kraft, the head coach there now, was the guy I replaced. And then he worked for Chris Holtman, who's now Ohio State. So I think they all kind of intertwined. And just the mentality that, that the group had was that they didn't care what the jersey said. Um, those guys were just going to go out there and compete and prepare and, and try to beat everyone. So I don't know if it's necessarily the school or the culture that they had built. But you're right. They, they have, they've always done really well. We actually changed the NIT rule. I don't know if most people don't realize that. That was we was the last time the preseason NIT took took the pod to win to New York. Um, after we beat Kentucky that year and got to go to the Garden and play in the Final Four for the preseason NIT, it was just funny because all the brochures and stuff had, still had Kentucky logos on it. They just had to exit out and put Garden Web on there. So that was that was pretty cool. That's funny. You know, from Boiling Springs, you move on to. Uh... Was it Callaway? Is that how you pronounce Colour- it? Callaway. They call it the oh. Wii. <laughs> yeah, Callaway. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you're with the, the late uh, Larry Hunter staff for three years. What yes, about sir. Coach Hunter, besides the 702 career wins, made him such a good coach? Oh, man. Coach is, he's the epitome of, of dotting I's and crossing T's. Um, he made me think on a whole different level about the game of basketball. Um, I don't know if anybody in the world, has given more thought to how to coach the game than Larry Hunter. Um, everything he did was so or- so organized and thought through. 
um, we used to joke as a staff, guys that worked for him always joke about, it's like, we don't have plan Bs up there because our plan A is so great that it's going to work. Um, but he thought, he, he has thought everything down to the, every drill that we've done was um, organized and had a purpose. Um, where our guys caught the ball and how their feet was placed when they caught the ball and how we went about boxing out and how we went about shooting and footworking and shooting and everything he did was so, 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 so detailed. And that was the, probably the thing that helped me the most. You know, when, I, when I first started working for him, and you get in the scout report and you, you start talking about, hey, this team run a horn set. And that wasn't good enough for Larry Hunter. You had to know, hey, they run the horns and the post guys feet are straddled the three-point line because in his mind, that was the difference between setting it below the three-point line and setting it above the three-point line or setting it with your feet straddled on the three-point line. That would kind of dictate to him how he wanted to play that ball screen based on where the, the um, offensive player feet were set. So he was so, so, so detailed. And it, like I said, it helped me so much. When you sat down and did a scout report for him, and, and you better have an answer for every question that he had for you because you better believe he had some questions for you. So you had to think about, like I said, a whole different level. Like just, hey, they run this wasn't good enough. You had to know why they ran it. And when you had a suggestion for them, you better make sure you had some some information to back up your suggestion. You couldn't just come in there and say, hey, man, this kid is, is a good player. We've got to sign him. He wanted to know why. And that's probably where he helped me so much in my career. He, make, he made me ask a why all the time. I love it. You know, from there you move on to uh, UNC Wilmington to join Buzz Williams' coaching staff. And I recall there was an interesting story about Buzz hiring you to be on his staff. When did you first interview to join his staff? Oh, Buzz Peterson now. Get the right Buzz. <laughs> Buzz, Buzz Peterson. Awesome. Yeah, but I interviewed with Buzz twice. I interviewed with Buzz twice. Um, I interviewed when he first got the job down there. And I'm from Elizabethtown, which is not far from Wilmington, which is close to home for me. So I always had, like, a, early in my career, I always wanted to get back to Wilmington because I was like, hey, they get me back home. I've always recruited the eastern part of the state pretty heavy. Um, so I wanted to get back in that in that area. Um, but the first time I interviewed for the job, he didn't give it to me. And I, I swear, I, I thought it had to be the best, in my mind, the best interview I've ever done. I, mean, I had like a book worth of crap and all these names of coaches and kids that we was going to recruit and Scott reports and all this stuff. Larry Hunter actually helped me put some stuff together. And I was so fired up going into that interview. And when he called me and told me he didn't um, wasn't going to hire me, he told me that he already had a Carolina guy on staff who's actually a really good friend of mine, so I'm Mac McFan, who's now the head coach at Murray State. And I remember just getting so angry. I was like, man, I, I helped Matt. I helped Matt know who the guys are. I actually helped him. How are you going to hire me? Not hire me. But um, that staff, and I tell the story. Larry knows it, and the guys that was on staff kind of know the story. Somebody might have heard me tell it before. So I was so mad about that statement that Buzz said. I was like, I was the recruit coordinator at Western Carolina at the time. And I told the other guys on staff, like, hey, this is here, man. Like, y'all know Larry, trust me. Y'all better not bring me a North Carolina kid. We're not taking a Carolina kid in this class. I don't care where they come from. They're not coming from North Carolina. I'm going to shoot them all down. And that was very unprofessional on my part. It was a big mistake. So any young guy listening, don't do that because I'll probably cost some kids an opportunity. <laughs> but um, but I, I remember early on – working five-star, working the camps, and I started getting a bit of a reputation. Um, I, I got connections or people that I'm really close with out in Texas and Dallas and that area. And of course, I have people I'm close with down in Florida. A lot of the five-star guys come from those two states in particular. Um, so I started just working my different networks. Um, 
So probably that fall comes around, and I'm sitting in the gym, 6 o'clock in the morning out in Dallas, Texas, and Buzz Peterson is walking in the gym. He sees me sitting in that gym. His face lit up. Oh, boy, you're everywhere. I said, I told you I could go anywhere I want to get a player. And after that, we actually started developing a relationship. And the next time the position opened up, he called me and hired me. So it was kind of cool. But that class, like I said, one of them was a really good player. took one of getting two kids to come from Dallas. Had a really good player come from Savannah, Georgia in that class. Um, had another kid come from South Carolina in that class. Now all of them had pretty good careers in Western Carolina. So it worked out for the kids in the school. But in hindsight, I, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I should have just took the best available players. And maybe those guys were. No, that's great. Um, you know, Coach Peterson and the staff were let go. Um, you know, did you have any Division One opportunities or – did coaching at a tradition-rich program like Winston-Salem State really entice you? It was a combination of both. Um, Coach Peterson is, is like, again, I'm going to probably say this 10 times, but Buzz is like one of my favorite people in the world. Um, him and his family really embraced me. Um, he taught me so much about the business of basketball. I don't know if I got the business before I started working with Buzz. Um, I, I felt pretty good about the X's and O's and the recruiting and things like that, but I didn't quite get the – understanding contracts and how all that stuff worked until Buzz really broke it down for me. Um, I felt like he got screwed at Wilmington. Um, you know, we walked into a, a APR situation. Oh, I agree with you. So, yeah, so, but, and and not, not taking away from the staff behind us because they did a phenomenal job. Or, but most of those guys that's on the team that won the league next year, we actually recruited there and coached there. So, um, but I thought Buzz got screwed. Um, I, this is my first time in my career. Up to that point, my career was kind of moving forward. Um, it bothered me to get fired because I never lived through it before. Not having a real coaching tree to lean on, I didn't know how to um, respond to it. Um, we talked about earlier, I, I spent time at Fayetteville State um, as a student, and i always kind of been enamored with the HBCU side of things. So I was like, man, maybe if I go to an HBCU um, – as an assistant, maybe I could get a Fayetteville State or Winston State as a head coach one day. That's my whole rationale behind doing it. Um, it's kind of funny because Buzz, uh, he got so mad at me because he actually, I had a couple job offers um, pretty much right after we got let go at Wilmington, and both of them was through Buzz. And he was so mad at me that I didn't take those jobs. Like, And I was like, Coach, like, I, I, don't, feel, I, I don't feel it in my heart. I don't want to do that. So when the Winston job presented itself, I took it. Um, I was hopeful. I, I thought I always knew there'd be a pretty good job, a pretty good situation. I didn't know the head coach um, that well before I worked with him, but I knew one of the guys he hired as an assistant, um, Justin Griffith, because um, Justin, one of my mentors, is um, John Thompson down in North Carolina Wesleyan, and Justin mm-hmm. played for him, so I had some relationship with him. So I was like, man, Winston, you're going to win. Like this <laughs> is probably the best setup in the league. So if I go here, we win a few years, maybe. If ever stay open, maybe if Shaw open, maybe if St. Augs open, I could get a call to become the head coach of one of those schools. And, and that was my whole thinking when I went to Winston. And I turned down a couple of jobs. I turned down one job in particular twice. Um, turned it down right after I got um, fired at Wilmington. Then that, the day I was driving to sign my lease in Winston-Salem, the position opened again, and the head coach called me and offered me the spot. And then Buzz called me, and his wife called my wife, and they told me I was committing – uh, career suicide, um, and it wasn't nothing bad, nothing wrong with that school. They just thought I, I was um, could be really good at, at the Division One level, and I did so much work to get to that point. 
So he was so mad at me, man. He didn't talk to me for about two months after <laughs> that job. So, like, he, that's my guy. Like, he, I was talking to him yesterday morning. Like, I, don't even, I don't even mess with him about it no more. But he's he's so mad at me for taking that job. Like, no, oh, Dre, you really work too hard. You work so hard. But Winston was phenomenal. It was it was exactly what I needed at that time. Um, it was the first time I got to work with somebody who um, was their first job as a head coach. So watching him go through his first hundred days, um, going through his first set of practices, going through his first games was, was, was so eye opening. It's something that I've always taken for granted as a coach because everybody I worked for up to that point already had their way of doing things. So that was really cool to watch somebody go through it. So if I'm blessed enough one day to get my own program, I can hopefully learn from some of the stuff that he'd done. And then the second part, the kids, man, those kids was awesome. Like Joaquin Baysmore and. Dante Harper and Javon Wells, those guys are so competitive. So every game, you knew they was going to bring it. And the atmosphere at Winston is is probably I, – I had this argument the other day. It's probably one of the top five atmospheres in the country. Um, and, and I mean that uh, regardless of level. So every time you had a game, the atmosphere was crazy. And they got loud and got after it. And it was, it was so fun. I had so much fun that year. And it, it helped me re-energize myself to why I did this because the whole thing is – you get into college basketball for the love of the game and for the love of the young people. And that job helped remind me of why I started doing this business to begin with. It's not about the business side. It's about the ball. It's about the ball and the kids. And let me ask you this, going from Division One to Division Two, did you notice that any of your peers either kind of stopped talking to you or, you know, treated you different? Yeah, of course. Um, and, again, everything – in life, it's, it's good and bad, but they're always lessons. Um, I thought up until that point in my life, or my career anyway, um, because I was moving pretty good at that point, you know, going from Wingate to Gardner Webb to Western to Wilmington, now I'm in Wilmington with Buzz. I kind of um, took myself too serious, I guess. I, I kind of I started believing my own hype. You know, you start people start telling you you're going to be a BCS coach soon and that you're hot and all that stuff, whatever that stuff supposed to mean. So you got all these guys calling you all the time because everybody know Buzz is pretty connected in basketball and his relationship with Jordan and all that stuff. So I'm on the phone all day one day with different guys who I thought was friends. Or we go on the road recruiting and I'm going to dinner with guys and lunch with guys and breakfast with guys. And, man, we got that call. We was, we was getting fired. It was amazing. You know, some people start calling you at first because what I've learned is the first wave of calls is two things. Your, your real friends and then the guys are trying to get the job that you got fired from. So God yep. really knows you guys. Hey man, like what's going on? Dre, how you doing? And I'm doing fine. What's going on down there? I'm like, dude, why didn't you ask me that first? I, you don't care how I'm doing. You want to know like what's going on with the job. So I want to just say that from the beginning to save us both some time. And that's something I learned during that process. You kind of learn who your friends are. Um, I, I remember I, I knew I was going to Winston before it was known to the public. Um, and, I was still getting paid for Wilmington at the time, so I was in a hurry. So I'd be around the house sometimes, like, bored. And I remember calling people that I thought was my friends. Like, just wanted to, hey, man, just want to shoot the crap a little bit, want to talk. And no call back, no reply to Texas. And I was like, oh, this sucks. But I also got to know who really was my friends, who was really about me and not somebody who was talking to me because they think I could help them down the road somewhere. So it helped clear up my my Rolodex now, <laughs> you know. But I'm I'm a friendly dude. I got people I associate with all over the place. But I've learned who some of my friends are during that process. So 
I, I'm glad I got to go through it. It sucked being fired, but it actually helped with some of that stuff. No, no doubt. Um, <clears throat> after, you know, one year in Winston, you go back to the D1 level at UNC Charlotte. Uh, and you were on Mark Price staff, correct? Yes, sir. Did you ever uh, outshoot him from the free throw line? <laughs> no, I can't shoot. I can't shoot. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I can shoot, outshoot any coach I ever had. Oh, these guys are kind of crazy because I've worked with some snipers, man. Good gracious. Wes Miller got clipped. Oh, man. Mark, of course, could shoot the mess out of it. Parker was a really good shooter. I'm trying to think of guys that was a bad shooter. I've never seen Larry Hunter shoot a ton. So maybe I can get Larry. He was old, too. So maybe I can get him. <laughs> But the rest of those guys can really, really shoot the ball. I, I would pay money for the Mark Price, West Miller shooting contest. I, I think I love to see that people are shooting contest. Both those guys can really, really shoot it. Uh, that that get more people watching than the uh, ESPN NBA horse that went on. A few ago. <laughs> I know, right? I know, right? Uh, what was it like coaching in the in Conference USA? You know, the conference is so spread out; it's very unique. <coughs> Talk about all that. It was um interesting again because um. Again, that's the first place I've been where we where we flew everywhere. Um, almost all your games, you had to fly. You couldn't bust our games. So that was a unique experience for me um, personally from that level. Um, the weirdest thing was, like, you never really got to know the other coaches in the league as well. I've always said, like, the Southern Conference always has been, always been my favorite league. I've been in the USA and the Colonial and um, the A-Sun. And this league is always my favorite because we're so close together that we get to know each other. Like, we may hate each other, but at least you know why you hate them. You know, you're having, you're having the same recruiting value. You recruit the same, a lot of the same kids. Um, and that league, like, I, would, I have to look up the people that the schools in the league were signing because everybody's so far apart. You, you didn't get to see those guys much on the road. Um, so you didn't build a really good relationship with the guys in that league. So you really never really built no, um, no real rivalries, in my opinion. The old conference USA was different, but the one that's – that is this now is so like who you can't hate anybody because you don't know <laughs> it's the hardest thing like with students and even recruiting wise you, you, you pick up the phone and call a kid and they ask you who's in the league you start rattling off these schools and they have no clue who you're talking about they ain't heard of those schools uh, they might have heard of four or five of them total so it was it was definitely different from from that standpoint being so spread out and everything but it was really good ball really good coaches in the league um you know western kentucky you know, God does a really good job. At that time, Old Dominion was really good. Um, Middle Tennessee with Kermit was phenomenal. Um, so Old Dominion, Marshall, had the Elmore brothers, was nasty. So it was a really, really high-level caliber of ball. But from a personal standpoint, you just kind of – you didn't know those guys. You, didn't, you knew the players because you scouted them, but you didn't really know a lot of them or a lot of the coaches you were competing against. No, nah, I mean, that's a, a lot of great points there. You know, what attracted you to UNC Greensboro? Uh, you know, I'm sure you had a ton of people calling you. What made UNCG so special? To be honest, like Coach, um, Coach Miller, to be honest, um, I, I, I always respected his grind. Um, it's kind of cool. I actually got to see his his grind from the beginning. He, a lot of people don't know, and I don't know if he he makes it public knowledge, but he actually interviewed for, for a spot guard in the web when I was going out, and that's where I met him as a person. Um, we got this funny story. We tell sometimes um, how we kind of got close. I used to have this recruiting rule where I was going to be the first one in the gym. I was going to be the last one to leave, no matter what the event, no matter how good or bad the games were. Um, and I was early in my career. We was at this tournament down in Myrtle Beach. I think West may have been at Elon at this time. 
and I'm at a big shot event, and I'm standing in the court, and I'm going to look to him. Everybody's gone. It's a terrible game going on. And I remember standing across the court, I was getting angry because he, he was still in the gym. And I was like, why is this guy, that, there's no way he here watching one of these kids. I was like, why is this guy in this freaking gym right now? So finally, we just, I just walked down there to him. We started talking, and he had the same rule. He was going to be the last guy in the gym. So we walked out the gym together, and that's kind of what started <laughs> our relationship. But, but I've always respected him, man. He, he does a great job here with this program. And I remember when I was at Weston, um, Greensboro was like the fun game. Like my, the walk-ons and stuff was getting hype when we got ready to play Greensboro. Um, and now it become the opposite. You know, we kind of the best program in the league, and we've always got really good players in and so it's, it's it's amazing what he's done with his job and the perception of it. Um, when you pick up the phone and call a kid, they know what we have done in the state and done in this region the last few years. So it makes my job a little bit easier, even though you're going after a different caliber of kid now. But coming to work for West, man, like it's awesome. And once you get on campus and you meet Miss Record, the athletic director, and you, you realize why it's so successful, and it start at the top. Um, the leadership here is so unbelievable. They want our men's basketball team to be good. Um, we got our own practice facility here on campus that helps our guys um, with their training. So basketball standpoint and academic standpoint, it's, it's like a no-brainer to come and be a part of this. You know, the three years you've been on staff, the team's gone, I think, 80 and 23. What makes Wes Miller one of the best head coaches in the sport? I laugh on um, he. I don't know if he takes a compliment or not. He he's like the perfect combination of Buzz and, and Larry Hunter, in my opinion. I told you earlier, Larry is like the most. He's probably spent the most time in basketball history on hours as far as figuring out this game. Wes Miller going to catch him once he gets to that age. The only reason why Larry is number one because Larry was a lot older. Um, Wes been a, fun, a crazy amount of time on basketball. Um, when he's woke, he got some basketball thoughts going on in his head. And so everything we do from our practice drills to our game planning, everything is so thought out and so well planned. It's like a machine. It's like clockwork over here. Um, and then he balances that with a personality. Um, I don't know how he finds the time to do all that and still be so hands-on as a head coach. Um, he is he may spend more time with our players than anybody on our staff. I won't say may, he does. <laughs> like, he is so hands-on with our guys. Now, guys know they can always count on him to be around, and he has great relationships with not only the kids, but also the people around the kids. Um, he spent a ton of time talking to their circles as well, and th- that combination just make them <laughs> great and unbeatable because we always know what's going on with our guys, and you add that to the amount of time we pay to the basketball and our development piece. Um, we really try to listen to the guys as far as what they're looking for and what they need out of their career and what they want to do with their career. So as serious as you take basketball, the more stuff we put back into you. And we're at the point now where we kind of rec- we recruit to that. Like we recruit guys that want to be serious, that's serious about ball. And we tell you that the first conversation we have is like, Hey man, if you don't love basketball, don't, don't pick up the phone again when we call you. Because if you don't love ball, you're not going to like it here. You ain't going to like us. <laughs> you're not going to like Wes. You're not going to like the guys on the team. So don't even waste your time. And we won't waste ours. But that's got to be number one. No, that's great. And I always love uh, Coach Miller's passion. I've actually won a number of beers because I always bet he's going to throw his jacket off before the other coach. 
and it's going to be within the first minute and a half. And I've won every <laughs> single time I made that bet. Yeah, he get going over there, man. He's a little, like a little jitterbug. But he's like that. The cool thing, like our guys don't they don't phase our guys because he's like that all the time. He's like that in practice. Like we um, our summer workouts is, 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 is again. This is my twentieth year or so in coaching, and I have friends come watch practices here. They've been to practices. I've been to other places, and they say the same thing every day. I'm going to talk like, oh, is this every day? It's like, man, that's a summer workout. Workout. That's like fifteen percent of what we do in practice, and it's still more intense. I was summer workouts more intense than some places I've been full practices. So it's, <laughs> it's well, coach is awesome. Like, but it's all so thought out and so organized. He really care about the guy's legs. So he does a good job of planning it and structuring it. And it's unbelievable, man, how, how much time he puts into that. And our guys love it. So when he start, when he take off his jacket, our guys don't even flinch. I bet they don't even know this because he's always like that. He's always so high energy. What's your best crystal poor story? Chris Lepore. Uh, nah, he's up and coming now. Chris is so hands-on. He's so energetic as well. I, I never saw a dude that's always happy. Uh, he, God, he, I don't know if that dude had bad days. He running around here with his wife and two little kids and two dogs running around. And you could call him at 6 in the morning or at 2 in the morning. And he picks up his phone and he wide awake. He's like, how are you so happy at this time of the life? So Chris is awesome, man. I don't know if I have a particular story. He think he could dance, which always tickles me when he gets dancing around. <laughs> Or he or he, he try to dunk for the campers at, at during camps, but I, I again I don't know if I've been around a happier dude. Like it's almost contagious. When you see him, you got to smile because he's always so doggone happy. Yeah, I feel like uh, Buzz Peterson's kind of the same way. I've never seen him uh, angry. I I, <laughs> I only know I can tell the story, but I saw him get angry one time outside. Of course, when we got let go, of course everybody's angry there that time. But Magic Johnson, um, I you know, Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan got the whole thing going on. And Magic came to our school to talk to our student body. And and I was I was I'm a big kid, so I get fired up when I see those kind of guys. And I remember I was so happy that like, Coach Magic come to the campus and like hey coach was like, forget Magic Johnson. And I was like, What? <laughs> I, like, who don't like Magic Johnson? It was like it was the whole Michael Jordan Magic, Magic Johnson thing. It's like, man, you can't not like Magic Johnson. How do you think you not like Magic Johnson? But you're right, but Buzz is like He's a he's a great man. He's a really really good man. Really good family. His son gonna be a coach. Um, he's gonna be a good one too. Son Rob. Oh no question. I mean, I, I've I don't know if I've seen a tougher kid this season, uh, just as far as playing through injuries and, and whatnot. He, he handles adversity, you know, head on. Yes, sir. Yeah, he's gonna be phenomenal. I I I put a good portion of my check on that. He's a really good really good kid. Really good young man too. Really good basketball mind. He really sees the game and thinks the game. Absolutely. So, Coach, you know, just a couple random questions for you. One, why are alumni hires important? Why are they? Um, I think, like, it's, it just depends on the school. Like, it's – I think sometimes it could be – it could go in the wrong direction when schools hire guys that's alums because their experience – everybody's experiences are different. And everything evolves. So a school might not be the same school as it was when that person went to school there. And they try to sometimes fit a circle into a square hole. Um, so some parts of it sometimes energizes the fan base. But the other side of that, the, 
like I want I just used the example when I was at Charlotte and I don't know if I was supposed to or not, but I remember just talking to some of the alums down there and and they were they make reference to the, the nineteen seventy seven Final Four team. And I'm like, dude, I, I was four years old. <laughs> like we can't <laughs> like yeah, like that was awesome. They went to the Final Four in nineteen seventy seven, but that was nineteen seventy seven. Um a lot of things have changed since then. And I think sometimes with the alumni hires, that also play a factor in that as well. Like I just use my school, for example, at Methodist. Uh, Methodist has changed so much since I was there. Um, it would be cool to go back, and I'm sure I have some pride if, if the opportunity presented itself, but it's such a different school, such a different – it was a college when I was there. Now it's a university. So it's a, such a different format. So I think it's all just relative. I, I don't know if it's necessarily a requirement for somebody to hire an alum. But from a name standpoint, I guess it does well, but – I've always felt like just hire the right person, right? Hire the right person, hire good people, whether they went to school there or not, they figure that stuff out. Okay. Yeah. No, I figured you'd have the perspective, you know, from working at Methodist and then I know at UNC Greensboro, you know, you guys do a good job of, you know, especially with your graduate assistants, um, you know, promoting from within. Yes, sir. Yeah. And coach, like our, our GAs here, man, they, they don't realize it at the, right now, but they are so blessed. Um, Again, places I've been before, that position was more of an administrative role. Um, our guys actually are real hands-on with our basketball stuff. Um, they they spend a lot of time with our players. They're real important in our player development piece. And also our player relationships. Um, and that stuff is going to help them once they're able to get on the floor somewhere and, and get on the road at the college level. Um, it's it's kind of wild. Like, us assistant coaches, we still do all our own paperwork. <laughs> So I, you know, someplace you just pass the stuff on to the GA. Nah, we do our own paperwork here, so the GAs can do the stuff that they're responsible for, which is a lot of time dealing with our players and everything. So the coach assistant with the GAs is is really really good. Actually, those guys have have been able to move on to other places and have some success. And again, the ones that stay here have been able to move up. Chris Lepore started as a GA form, and Tom Tanker was started off a GA form, and now we got Sala Mott who started off as a GA form. Tim Pete moved on um, this year, was a GA form. So that spot has become really, really good. Um, and, again, those guys right now don't understand how far ahead they're getting by being around West at that stage in their career. I got it when I got to, with Larry at Western Carolina, but I was six, seven years in at that point. Okay. What advice do you have for somebody – I always, you know, ask at the end, what advice do you have for coaches? Different question. What advice do you have for someone like me? I was out of coaching for a year and limited options for this season. I know I can't be out two years in a row. Do I move somewhere for a season where the coach is throwing me a bone, you know, to get back in or, you know, what, what would you advise me on? I think like the, the advice I've, I've always been given is like, it's, it's easier to get jobs when, when you're in the business. Mm-hmm. And once you get in, it's a little bit easier to move around within. So if you could financially take a job in another area that somebody going to throw you a bone just to put you back in the business, I would say I would lean towards doing that. Um, but if you can't, doing what you're doing, just keep on building relationships. I know you come to a few of our games and you talk to some of the guys on our staff. and It's, it's crazy how much this business has become about relationships. And it, it almost every, almost every job I've had, it was a prior relationship in some way or form. And almost all my friends that I'm close with have had the same experiences. Like 
somebody call you about a job and even if it's something that you can't do, I call one of my friends, hey man, I such such has called me. I can't do this job. Would you be interested? And it just it's amazing how much that goes on with the filling of jobs and filling of positions. So I say get in if you can. Um if you have somebody's gonna throw you a bone, if you can make it work financially, if you can make it work sanity wise, do it. It's always a little bit easier. Um, as we talked about earlier, um, some guys won't pick up your calls because they think that you want something from them. So when you end, you kind of take that away. Um, I've, I've always said, like, when people show you their hands, that don't mean necessarily they're a bad person. So I would still talk to guys. The guys that ain't called me the, from the point I got fired at Wilmington until I got hired at Charlotte, um, I still talk to those guys, too, because I, I don't know. Like, if you're going to use me <laughs> – I could use you back. Um, so I don't hate those guys, and I still talk to those guys because it may come a point where they could help me in some way. But I know where you are. I know where we stand. We're business associates. We're not friends, and that helps as well. So I think once once you get back into business, just just I think it would be easier. More people will pick up your calls. You'll be able to build more relationships because people will, would think that you don't want something now. You're just actually trying to build a relationship with them. Okay. I appreciate that. No what, uh, why do you think there there is a lack of black head coaches uh, in Division One? Um, that's kind of a, a tricky question, I guess. Um, it's not tricky. I if I looked around and this during this pandemic, I, I had too much free time on my hands, and <laughs> I think we all did. <laughs> um, and you start looking at the whole makeup of college athletics, period, and college basketball in particular. Um, it's just not a lot of us, period. Um, I look at this league in, in, as an example of the Southern Conference. There's not but 10 black assistants in this league. Um, so every staff got one. And so it's like, there ain't that many of us to choose from. And then our roles, um, this whole CEO thing that I guess is the popular word for when hiring coaches, you got to be a CEO. Um, a lot of guys, when, when you're on staff as the only – minority you pick up so many extra responsibilities outside of just the basics um you already got to deal with you're going to get whether you're recruiting them or not you're going to get a lot of the minority problems with the kids with the families with the coaches with their circles you still got to do your, your your share of the scout reports you still got to do your share of the workouts you still got to do your share of whatever task it is that you have on campus in addition to that, so if you got academics or you got scheduling or you got strict conditions, whatever your other duty is, you got to do that as well. And then a lot of times, just to be honest, a lot of us are are the recruiters um, or the guys that go get players as well. So while you're trying to build all those relationships with trying to get players on board and things of that nature and going on the road, <clears throat> there's not a lot of time to do some of the stuff that we sh- that we need to be doing to become the CEOs. We don't. You have to really, really manage your time if you're going to spend time with the boosters. You got to really, really manage your time. If you're going to spend time with the administrators on campus. Um, a lot of times, you, you just there's so many times in the so many hours in a day, and then you're also going to try if for us that those of us that have kids and that are married, you also got to find time for your your home life. So what happens? You just start running hours in a day. So a lot of, I think a lot of the minority assistants, we we in this business eight, ten years before we realized that we got to start balancing our day a little bit differently. 
if we're going to get the the check all the boxes that's required now to be a head coach, we got to find new ways to, to balance our day and, and to get all this stuff done. And so, but that that's to me is like, we just got to do a better job of trying to prepare ourselves for those opportunities. Um, second part of that is, of course, the people that make decisions sometimes, you, you always want to, you're always going to hire or lean towards what you're comfortable with. And we all are guilty of that. So I'm not hating on nobody for doing that. But if, if I'm going to have a real frank conversation with somebody, it's probably going to be somebody that look like me and think like me. Um, so we just got to be do our, the best we can to, to close those gaps of communication. So guys can kind of see what we're really about as far as administrators and presidents and things of that nature. Because there's a lot more depth to people than people than the people think. I know a lot of the schools I've been at. The um, I had really good relationships with um, Julie Rose when I was at Charlotte. Um, Jimmy Bassett and I was okay, but a lot of times as a minority assistant, the only time they really see you is during games and at practice. You don't really be around them as much because most of the time you don't have the responsibilities where you're dealing with them a ton. So you gotta you gotta do it yourself. You gotta schedule time where you're spending time with those people that make decisions. Okay. No, that's great stuff, Coach. Um, you know, you've made it to the start bench cut segment. Start <laughs> one, bench one, you cut one. I know you've been you've been uh, itching to get to this part. All right, cool. We got. Uh, start off Nike, Adidas, Under Armour. Oh, you gonna start Nike? That's, that's that, ain't, that ain't no question right there. Um, I cut Under Armour and bench Adidas. Okay, okay. Bubble T.J. Warren, Bubble Luca, Bubble Devin Booker. Ooh. That's a tough one after last night now. Good gracious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you got to start Luca at this point because he's doing a little bit of everything. Um, you have, what, three triple-doubles now in the bubble? That's crazy. Um, probably go T.J. Warren since the Carolina guy. And then I cut Devin Booker. Okay. Okay. Cookout, Bojangles, Chick fil A. <laughs> it's Sunday, so I can't get Chick fil A. So, but any other day, I go Chick fil A first. Okay. Um, cookout, be on my bench, and not cut Bojangles. Okay. Blue Chips, he got game, Carter. I go um, Blue Chips. I, I love that movie. It was interesting, really interesting movie. First movie of that of that kind. Um, he got game. It goes to the bench, and I cut Coach Carter. Okay, a couple more left. Beyonce, Rihanna, Cardi B. Ooh, Rihanna, starting her. Beyonce on the bench. Cardi B good cuts. Okay. Okay. Last one. Hoop dirt, verbal commits, transfer portal. <laughs> verbal commits. The verbal commits, the transfer portal, and then I cut hoop dirt. Okay. Coach, who are three guests I should have on the podcast? What three guys? Um, Mike Roberts. It's phenomenal. He's funny as crap. 
like a lot of people don't realize how funny Mike is. I love the talking to Mike Roberts. Um, let me see who else is really good. Kind of Marlon Gill. Oh, Marlon Gill, but rather, he's a phenomenal talker, um, speaker. I said Steve Smith down at Florida State. Steve also got he got an interesting story. Okay. Those would be my three. And then, Coach, you know, advice for uh, people trying to break into the business and or, you know, guys who are managers and trying to become graduate assistants, you know, kind of take that next step. Try to make um, as many real relationships as you can. Um, authentic relationships, I think, is, is, again, so important in this business. And try to make authentic relationships. Don't don't be that guy who just just call guys in the spring when job is about to open. Like, really try to engage guys in conversations and learn about their families and what they've been through. I think the more you can make authentic relationships, the better off you're going to be as far as breaking in and staying in. If people find out what you're about, that could help you move on as well. So that's probably my biggest piece of advice. And, and just be careful of, of comparing your path and your grace to somebody else's because all of us move at different times, at different paces. So, so many guys I, I see get frustrated with the business because they're not moving fast enough in their eyes. And because of that, they make bad decisions and they wind up costing themselves in the long run. So just, just run your own race, man. Build as many real relationships as you can. And just run your own race. Don't try to run somebody else's race. Don't compare yourself to the man beside you. Compete with them, but don't compare yourself to them. I love that. Compete, but not compare. That's great stuff, Coach. Coach, if listeners want to get in touch with you, social media handles, email, what's the best way to do that? Um, my social media, my Twitter, I'm on my Twitter a lot. It's at Coach Dre Gray, um, D-R-E-G-R-A-Y. And then I'd be myself, 910-540-1778. I know that's not supposed to be professional, but I don't care. I'll talk to a wall. Um, if anybody need me to reach out to me, feel free to do either one. Coach, I appreciate you taking time on your, uh, you know, out of your busy schedule to come on the podcast and help coaches uh, grow the game. No, it's awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave reviews, and rate five stars.